Welcome to the Disciple Cafe, where Pastor Tim Roberts answers your questions about faith, religion, the Bible, and the whys you've always wanted to ask. Submit your questions to Tim at stuart.church or directly through the Anchor Podcast app. Hello, and thanks for joining us in the Disciple Cafe. I'm Bill King with Tim Roberts. Pastor Tim, there's a lot to cover this week, as I think there always is, it seems to be. Uh, So let's get right to it, starting with a question that came to mind Wednesday night during our family night discussions. And um, and this has to do with a uh, writing of of Peter's. Mm-hmm. So I think it is it was in First Peter. Yeah, there's an admonition to remember that we are aliens in this world. Yeah, that this is not our home. And I kind of get it, but boy, that sounded harsh to me. Uh, he seems to believe our home is in heaven, and this I was thinking when I heard it. Is in, is in conflict, seems in conflict to me with the prayer that Jesus taught us, you know, that asks thy kingdom come. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. he's talking about here. I assume he yeah. means come here. And then, right. and then the Genesis story, God looked at his creation, looked at the world and said, this is good. Right. And I'm liking this. This, right. this looks good. So yeah. why would he create a world and fill it with aliens? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, Thank you. You come up with lots of good questions, Bill. <laughs> You're the question man. Um, well, you know, you mentioned Genesis and the creation of the world, so let's start there. Uh, Genesis one and two: God creates all things good; everything's peaceful and harmonious, and as God intended. Genesis three: everything falls apart, and the relationships in the world fall apart human to human animal to animal uh, creation is is not sustainable right um and so we see the decay uh in in creation itself in the physicality of creation human bodies that presumably would last don't last any longer there's pain there's grief there's death so something changed, something dramatic changed from God's original design uh, to this revised existence in the world. What crept in was sin and depravity and all that that altered things. It's it's a little bit like a virus, you know, that you catch. You know, one day you're feeling good and everything's good, and then you wake up and you got a headache, a fever, a stomach ache, your joints ache. Something, something crept in that changed the situation, that altered the equation. And it's still God's creation, but it's an altered creation. It's been marred. It's been infected. And so on. So the the story of Scripture, loosely speaking, is the story of of God taking us back to Eden, bringing back the restoring creation the way it was intended to be. And so, the ultimate expression of that is Jesus coming to represent humanity uh, as we were designed in the first place. So, um, Jesus lives a sinless life. Jesus lives a life in alignment with God, showing us what it means to live according to God's original design. 
he is representing that original design of being human, but as God, he's bringing the kingdom back into its original order. Uh, you know, you take your your brand new Buick you bought to the dealer, and they say your tires are out of alignment. Well, when you bought it, they weren't out of alignment. And then they, the mechanic puts it up on the lift. He does whatever he does, that magic. And then suddenly they're back in alignment, restored back to the original design. So in other words, the world got out of alignment, yeah. and Jesus came, put it on a lift, and got, and got it straightened out. <laughs> he, got, he got it. Or tried. That's right, yes, with, with greasy fingernails. Yep. Um, yeah, and so, but the, the trick, there's so many influences here because we're, in in the in this whole movement from creation to Jesus to you and me now, there have been a lot of kingdoms and kingdom motifs and language and kings, monarchies, and so that language got captured in the language of Jesus and the language of the gospels. Why? Because a king throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament days, Roman Empire, a king or Caesar commanded ultimate allegiance. Wherever mm. the king existed, whether it was the king of Babylon or, you know, wherever, uh, king pharaoh, of Egypt, the pharaoh, or, right. they commanded ultimate allegiance. So everyone, wherever you are, time-wise, culturally, can understand the notion of one king and ultimate allegiance toward that king. That's why this kingdom language becomes so pervasive throughout Scripture. And this is a little bit of a problem for we Americans. You know, we weren't born in Britain. And, uh, and we rebelled against the king. We rebelled against the king. And we don't need a king, right? And um, uh, so, but, but that's, we have to kind of dig into, okay, why is this even there? And so we're looking at the original creation. We're looking at Jesus who's called the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And in coming to earth and representing the original design and living out what it meant to be Adam and Eve, you know, in the beginning. Showing us what God's good creation lives like. He is bringing a foretaste of that total restoration. It's not fully restored, obviously. We're living with all this brokenness, death, viruses, disease, hatred, sin, you know. Name it. Corruption, you yeah, name it. Yeah. Uh, but Jesus comes, he, 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 he's like, he's like, let's just go with this analogy again. He's like the vaccine coming into your body. <laughs> Hasn't eradicated COVID-19, but mm -hmm. it, it gives us an idea of what it means to get back to normalcy, to health, stasis, that stability that God designed in the first place. And so that's that's represented by kingdom language. So we're told to pray, yeah, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. So we're praying for this merger of the two, this combining of the two, this restoration of the two, because there was no division. There, You know, when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, right. there's no division. You know, the heavens and the earth are all God's, you know, it's good and God created it all and there's no there's no separation there. God walks amongst creation. He's a part of it. He's invested. He loves it. It's good. It's beautiful. 
And then we're the ones through our decisions called the fall and what we continue to do to perpetuate that, that, that cause that rift, that division. And so Jesus and the gospels and the whole mission of God is about, about bringing those two together again, mm-hmm. kingdom and the earth, this world and the world to come. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the tricky, the tricky slogan that theologians use. They talk about, our experience now as living in the already not yet the already not yet it's already happened because jesus has brought it he's initiated it. he's inaugurated it but it's not full it's sort of like it's a long ways from full you know i mean the coffee's percolating okay it's already going it's already there you can smell it you could even taste it but it's not fully done right it's yeah. not finished brewing yeah. that's kind of where we are and that's the trick for how we talk about the kingdom. Um, you know, we're, we are living as aliens okay. in this sinful, corrupt, fallen creation because we belong to another kingdom that's already here but not yet fully realized. And that's where this confusion comes. And Peter specifically, and I have it right here for us in, in First Peter uh, chapter 2, he says, I urge you to live as foreigners and exiles. I urge you to live, I'm sorry, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So he's saying, don't live according to the current corrupt, divided, fallen order of the world because it's not God's original design. Live according to what Jesus came to restore. That's another kingdom, that's the original creation. You get a taste of it, and, and and so, you know, focus on that address. That's your zip code, <laughs> that, and that's going to be the ultimate zip code for everyone to share, ultimately. Um, so the idea of being foreigners and exiles is also linked to the experience. You think about it, the people of God, Israel, who uh, were exiled from Jerusalem. Right. They're in a foreign land. And they have to figure out how do how do we relate to God and to the world around us according to God's design in a place that doesn't support that. Uh, the Peter's talking to a church where who are being persecuted and who are um, being uh, blamed for things that they didn't do. So was this the church in Rome? The, in this is the church, right? And and they are they're being they're being blamed for uh, all the things that Nero did and didn't get right. Um, and 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 so Peter's saying, "All right, well, you know, the typical way uh, you would respond would would be, you know, to fight back. And and in so doing, you know, you just playing into their hand you're right. just you're you're yeah. you're being just like them show them what it means to be kingdom people yeah in the middle of these accusations false though they may be yeah um, show them what it means um, to resist you know retaliation and blaming back and all these things um because in so doing, you're showing them your true allegiance to the true king 
and you're living in that kingdom, though you're still in this world. Wow, would it be nice if we had some of that going on in uh, Washington these days? <laughs> you know, yeah. just break that chain of of accusations and blame and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but there's another one in Peter. While while we're on Peter, there's another one of his instructions where he says to live apart. And and I seem to remember, you know. I'm, uh, I'm not the expert on the Bible, but you are. So yeah. uh, uh, I seem to remember Paul saying something about be in this world, yeah, not of it. Jesus, Jesus said that. Yeah, Jesus said it. Okay. In this world, but not of it. Um, and so, yeah, you're going to get different nuances yeah, from the different and, writers. And, and these things are not in conflict necessarily. Right. But that's why I'm asking you. That's right. Because I know, you know, from prior discussions that we've had. They're not in conflict. That's right. But it, there's a lot of nuance there, and it can be interpreted as being, you know, well, he said over here and said that. So this is another one. Us against them. Or, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the principle of Scripture speaking to Scripture is what we're getting at here. And, and one needs to speak to the other to help us understand the whole. And so when Jesus says, be in this world but not of it, and Peter's saying, you know, you're exiles and foreigners and, you know, don't, don't be so wrapped up in, in, in the pagan world that, you know, you, you look just like them. Mm. Um, they're saying the same thing. Uh, uh, okay. Wh- okay. What, what Peter, Paul, all the writers of scripture are trying to express in their own way and in their own context, what Jesus said when he said to the church, to Christians, you're a city on a hill. Uh, a, a light should be lifted up, not hid under a bushel. And you're the salt of the earth. Uh, you're the leaven in the bread. In other words, all of those metaphors stand out. Uh, they're distinct. They make a difference. And they add value, and this is the key thing, they add value to everyone else. Mm. So being set apart, which, by the way, is the notion of being holy, being set apart, set apart for God's purposes. It's not to be cloistered and to be cliquish in, in, in that negative sense. It's set apart in order to bring the kingdom to be the leaven in the bread. You know, leaven helps it, helps it, everything about bread benefits. One, a, a very big dark room the entire room can benefit from one single candle being lit. And, and so that's the idea. Don't forget who you are, whose you are. Mm. Function in that way. And it's not to be exclusive at all. It's actually rather inclusive. By by being certain about your identity and functioning out of that grounding as kingdom citizens, you're actually helping the rest of the world experience, just like Jesus did, what it means to live according to God's original design, to see the kingdom, to see the king working through us. And that's why we're called the body of Christ as the church. God, you know, God works through us to, to be a manifestation yeah. of the gospel okay. in the world. Okay, I got you. So we're in the world, and we are somewhat apart in the sense that we are instructed to not become like others in the world who, are, who don't follow the way, the way that G- Jesus 
told us to go. Speaking of yeah. the way Jesus told us to go, I think, you know, you got me thinking about that coffee, Tim, when you mentioned that. <laughs> you know, the coffee's brewing. It's percolating. Yeah, man, it's perking. Um, so among the other questions perking this week, um, let's stay with the New Testament. Is, is there a place in the Gospels, the Gospels are the only place that quote Jesus? Really, right? Well, that that his direct quote. His direct quote. Yeah. Is is there a place in the Gospels where he says, I, I don't think you people get it, I'm God? Yeah. Yeah. Plenty of places. Yeah. Okay. More, some indirectly and by inference and some directly where he does so. The, uh, w- w- I'll, I'll share with you one that is the most direct and obvious, perhaps the most direct and obvious. This is in John chapter 10. And it's quite interesting because he's answering critics uh, of him who are trying to nail him and and who are trying to arrest him, find a, a cause for arresting him um, to show that he's breaking the law. We know that blasphemy was against the law back then, and um, claiming to be God would be blasphemy. And so listen to what happens in in John chapter 10. Jesus is answering these critics. He says, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. So Jesus is saying, you know, uh, you're asking me about who I am. What I am doing should give you enough clues. That's the answer, but you're you're not catching on. Um, my sheep, those who follow me, they get it. And then he goes on, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they know, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Well, who else but God can give eternal life? Clue number one. Okay. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. And then listen to this. I and the Father are one. Mm. I and the Father are one. So no one's greater than the Father. He just said that. Yep. And then to say, I and the Father are one, yeah, you pretty much are claiming to be one and the same, right? And then he says again, the Jew, it says again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Now, why would they do that? Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Here's their answer. We are stoning you. We are not stoning you for any of your good work, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. It was clear to them, and and this is all throughout the Gospels, the reason why they kept pursuing him and they had warrant to do so was because he kept stepping into that place of claiming to be God. This is a classic illustration. The Father and I are one. Um, and and, and throughout, throughout the Gospels, you hear this, and then it's echoed in, in uh, you know, the epistles, and I'll just share uh, perhaps the, one of the best um, with you, and this is in Ephesians, or rather in Colossians uh, chapter 2, or chapter 1. And Paul makes it really clear when he says the Son, that is Jesus, is the, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created, things within heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Sounds very godlike, right? Mm-hmm. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. As a microcosm of the whole story of right, the gospel. Right. Paul's good at that. Yes. Yeah, he puts it all together there. Yep, yep. He takes what Jesus did, and he says, all right, here's, here's how we make sense of it. Here's what it all means in that. Yeah, who, who Jesus was, why he was, what he did, and how we benefit from that. Yeah. Um, so it's, the language throughout, whether it's the epistles or the gospels, is is synonymous with the claims of being divine. Claims uh, both by Jesus, but also by those who were looking for a reason to persecute him and ultimately kill him. And that was the best reason a Jewish uh, Pharisee or Sadducee would have. Um, there are a number of things that you could be killed over, but that was... That was right up there. That's right up there. I mean, you're going to have your best success if you can prove that claim. And uh, so Jesus is making that claim again and again, and that's what gets him in the ultimate hot water. Uh, and so it's really interesting, isn't it? Where it's not, it's not just what we hear coming off the lips of Jesus, but the lips of his opponents that confirm the answer to your yeah. question. Oh, it's 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 all interesting. Every <laughs> everything in there is interesting in one way or another. But um, just just for clarity, uh, not to argue against what you're saying at all. But he he wasn't saying what he was saying about living this way, and you know, he, he wasn't saying any of the things that that he preached. He wasn't seeing himself as as creating a new religion, was he? No, he's the fulfillment of yeah, the prophecy uh, that the Messiah would come to do what he did, and that is to restore the world, uh, to, 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 to execute this rescue mission of God, to bring creation back to its restored, redeemed order. Um. God is like a pit bull who has a bone. Yeah. He's not going to let go of this. It's a good thing. He's not going to let go of this, no matter how rebellious we are. And boy, we've proven how rebellious we can be yeah. yep. throughout the ages. doesn't matter what culture, what time in history. It's the same story, different channel, right? Yep. And God says, I'm, go- I'm not going to let go of this. I'm so invested. I'm going to put on flesh and come down there and show you exactly how invested I am, show you how to live as a human being perfectly in, in faithfulness to God's will and according to God's design. And I'm, in fact, going to redeem you by, by paying the penalty and sacrificing for any of the offenses that have a, a price tag on them. And, in fact, in doing all that, I'm also going to conquer once and for all the very power of sin and death and evil that infected you. Think again about the the, the vaccine mm-hmm. coming in against mm-hmm. the virus. 
um, I'm going to accomplish all of these things. Um, and, and this is, this is the story of God's intervention in the world, this rescue mission in the world. And did it all in how many years? (laughs) Just, just, just a handful of years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just from an historical standpoint, we, we refer to Christianity, but he wasn't, because he wasn't creating a new religion, he wasn't thinking, you know, they, they were, they were thinking, uh. This is the way that you go. You just follow this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Christianity did not come was did not replace Judaism per se. It was the natural evolution of Judaism. It was the messianic movement. I mean, Judaism is a messianic movement. Okay, start there. It's a messianic movement. Whether or not Jews then or now recognize. The trajectory of that messianic movement is the question. The trajectory from a Christian perspective is, yeah, Jesus continued that arc, that trajectory of the prophecies and the expectations, uh, and he fulfilled all of those prophecies and requirements. He did it in a paradoxical way, which is part of the stumbling block for many, was and is for many Jews. (laughs) <laughs> but that is not to say that Jesus came to establish a new religion per se. Um, and obviously, Christianity is named after him, uh, after Christ, um, as a way of distinguishing. At some point, there had to be a distinction that was made because, as you know, the first Christians were not called Christians. They, 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 they worshipped in the synagogue. And they saw themselves, yeah, they saw themselves as They were as Jews. Jews. Yeah. They were good Jews. They were observant Jews yep. who simply also worshipped Jesus uh, as the logical extension of what they were doing as people of faith, as the people of God. It made sense. There wasn't a separation. The separation was forced on them by Jews who would not accept that and who kicked them out of the synagogue. They literally got kicked out of the synagogue. Oh. So now you're in... Home house churches trying to figure this out, you know. You're you're following this guy who says he is the way, the truth, and the life, and so they were people of the way, and it evolves into you know like most things get branded eventually, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so becoming Christian uh, was the brand, and what we've done with that, um, as with so many things, um, can be very unfortunate. You know, we just we can look at Hitler and the way he he used Christianity in opposition to Judaism to persecute and ultimately kill so many. Um, uh, but that that is that was never the thrust of Jesus whatsoever to to separate out. Uh, he didn't even comment on. He he said, "I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. He came to fulfill the law of Judaism." And and so it was you know, that very language that he used was one of inclusion and extension, inclusion and extension, not seclusion, cut off, and not creating something and new re- and redefining completely. Yeah, not creating some an entirely separate, but but it fulfill the law. Right. In Romans, Paul is trying to wrestle with this a great deal. Because he's he's wanting to say uh, throughout several chapters in Romans that um, we are part of that Abrahamic covenant. 
um, the, the, the root of Jesse, the stump of Jesse. We, we have our roots in that, and we can never change that. We should never change that. But we find the full expression of that. The, if you think of the stump, like a stump of a tree, the tree has suddenly grown, and the fruit of that is Jesus. And the fullest expression of that mm. is in Jesus okay. and the faith that follows him. So it's not a, a cutoff, um, but it's an extrapolation, an extension of it. And um, and so, yeah, you can't use the Bible. And the reason we have an Old and a New Testament, I mean, you can't use the Bible to, to cut off Judaism and say, oh, no, God wiped the slate clean and started over. Um, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Yeah, he was. He was. That, that's. They would have likely been calling him rabbi, and you see it. You yeah. know, Rabboni uh, is the Arabic, or the or Aramaic. Um, Rabboni, uh, again and again, and uh, but he didn't function in, in, the way a lot of the rabbis would function. The way um, that yeah, the way the Pharisees, and Sadducees, and the religious leaders right. wanted. A rabbi to function. Yeah, rabbi, why are you letting your disciples pick ears of grain in the field and eat yeah, them? Yeah, what are you, you thinking? No, it's against the Sabbath law. What are you thinking? All the other rabbis don't do that. What are you doing in Jesus? You know, he has a comeback for everything, as he often does. While the Sabbath wasn't created for man, man was created for the Sabbath. So what's he, what's he doing? He is giving a rabbinical teaching. It's called a midrash. Mm-hmm. Uh, where 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 you explain or have a commentary on the law or on the teaching, a rabbi is the one would help you who would help you understand what it means and how it applies to your life, and so he's functioning like the rabbi that they are questioning as a rabbi, but he he has an alternative way of understanding it compared to most. Maybe all of the other rabbis yeah, around him. Right, I'll say. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, help us understand. You had mentioned several times already sin and being sinless, and and what one definition of sin that I've seen or heard, I guess, is more accurate, is that it's anything that separates yeah. us from God. Yeah. Yeah. You buy into that one? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a list of these activities, mm-hmm. like the Ten Commandments, don't do any of these things. Yeah, yeah don't do them, but the reason is because yeah. Yeah. it's a bad idea to do any of these. Yeah, what basically. separates us, it, it, you can think of it, I think the, the sin as a concept is really about thinking of a condition that we have. Uh, one of the simplest ways of understanding it is to think about having a cold. A cold is a kind of virus. Here we go, infected again. There you go. A cold is a virus, yep. right? It's a virus that's inside you, wherever, in your nasal pad. I don't know where it is, in your lungs, wherever it resides. The symptoms become sneezing, runny nose, itchy eyes, fever, feeling cough. yuck, yep. cough, you know, all those things. We can think of those as sins, the things we do. But that's not sin, the condition. The condition is our our condition of being separated from God, so that we don't we don't naturally wake up in the morning and think of God first. What do we do? We think of ourselves, what we want, how I want to live my day, 
what my priorities are. And don't you get in my way, doggone it. And when I'm driving down don't the road, you get want out the, of my way. Don't you want these same things that I want, God? <laughs> yeah. So we have this condition of sin where we live very self-focused lives, which is another way of saying we make ourselves God. And that's the original sin in the garden of, uh, you know, with Adam and Eve is, is, is making ourselves God. My desire, my wants, my focus, my priorities. I filter everything in life through me um, and uh, instead of God. And so that's what the call, the call of Jesus is back to the kingdom and having a kingdom focus. And Paul is saying, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think like Jesus. See the world like Jesus. Live your life like Jesus. He's showing you the way. He is the way. You're people of the way. And this is why we come around the word together and we pray together and we learn from one another and we model it for one another and we repent when we know we got it wrong and we rejoice when we know we're getting it right and we worship God above all else as a reminder that we have one allegiance to one king, and we're kingdom citizens. You see how I just went back yep, to the yep. beginning here? <laughs> I, thought, I was thinking that's very clever. <laughs> Tie it all up. Yeah, yeah. Tie it all up. Yeah, yeah. And, and Paul, talking about Paul again, yeah. and the way. And, and my recollection again is him saying something about the followers of the way are now in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What does that mean? How does how does how do I how am I in another entity? I can see yeah. I can see where I I pray that Christ is in me. In me. Yeah. But how am I in in Christ? It's a hard question because yeah, I mean it, like with so much scripture, it's it's like a teeter totter, you know? Once you get one side figured out, the other side's up in the air. And then once you get that, you know, uh, in being in Christ, Christ being in me, those are the alternative teeter-tottering images that are used. So the idea of Christ being in me and, you know, this idea of his sort of habitating in my heart and mind and body and life, my soul, uh, his mediating my mind, my will, and what I do. All that, Christ being in me, me being in Christ, um, is sort of, I, I think there are probably a lot of ways we could talk about it, but I'll use this. Maybe the, the idea of men, like a mentor, um, which is one of the best ways of thinking about discipleship. Dallas Willard famously says that uh, a, a disciple uh, is an apprentice, and an apprentice typically watches someone, learns from them so that they can do what they do and be like them in their own right. So if you're a plumbing apprentice, you know, you follow the guy around and you, or the gal around and you learn how to use the wrench and you learn how to fit the pipe and you learn how to unclog this and repipe that and you're watching and then you do it while they watch and then you do it on your own and then suddenly you're a plumber. You're, you're in the plumbing trade. So being in Christ is about following Christ around, doing what he did in order to be oh, like he interesting. was. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's an ongoing task because we're not talking about a single to- chore or task. Uh, we're talking about living life. Yeah. 
all of life. Yeah. And so that's a never-ending yeah. apprenticeship, yeah. if you will. Um, so being in Christ, it's that. It's also an identity thing. And, I, you know, like, you're a king. Hmm. I'm a Roberts. Um, and we can talk about that from our own vantage point, you know, what it means to be a king. And you're, you know, the identity of the king family and the identity of the Roberts family. I have a, I have a Roberts crest on my wall at home. Hmm. And and all the symbolism that it represents, and the the Latin uh, virtue et valor, you know, virtue virtue and valor. Okay, those those words, those those merits have something to do with what it means to be a Roberts, to be in that clan, in that family. And so we have a lot of scripture that helps us understand what it means to be to in be in Christ. Christ as we live out. Being people of the way, following Jesus as people of the way, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many ways in which we can talk about it. But I think the the, the mentoring sort of image and the identity language help us get at it somewhat, at least. Man, I tell you, you know, you just you, you answer one question, and it's almost like what you said. And then that leads us to another question. It does. But it also leads it me to... It should. Yeah, yeah. It, well, we succeed then, Tim, because <laughs> it seems like we always do. But that also leads me to say we have succeeded in uh, finishing this week's time period. We are we are done for this for this episode. Time flies when you're I'm telling you, man. And we never get enough, but I'm making notes here so we can... We'll have questions for next next time awesome. we get together. So if if you have questions listening to this that you would like to have uh, Tim address, then please stay tuned for a moment, and you'll get those instructions. Thanks for joining us, and until we meet you again, Tim, peace. Thank you, Bill. God bless you all. Thanks. We've enjoyed having you at the Disciple Cafe today. Remember to submit your question 